0: So in 1967, there was a Senate subcommittee uh, that said that by 1985, the average American would work only 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. Because of the technological advances, the committee thought the main problem of the future was going to be too much play. You're probably laughing or scoffing right now because certainly the main problem right now is not too much play, but too much work. And Americans work more than anyone else in the world. They work 137 more hours per year than the Japanese, 260 more hours per year than the British, and 499 more years than the French. I think the Spirit is... I'm going to follow the spirit to France, Aaron. I'm just letting you know, I'm looking for jobs now. (laughs) I'm not sure I'm joking. What happened? We traded our time for money and progress. We realized that if we work more, we get more. And our GOP went up. And our economy became one of the strongest in the world. And it became our civic duty to work. And to consume. And and listen, I'm not here to critique an economic system, but I am saying that a theology of overwork, of progress, and hurry is a thread that holds our nation together and we have been brought up in it. We have been formed and shaped by it. Don't you feel it? How many of you recently have been asked, how are you? How's your semester going? You probably know the response, good, busy, good, but, but really busy. And then we kind of spiritualize it and be like, well, it's all good things. God's given me these things, it's just a season. It'll pass and by season you mean all semester and then you get to break and you get sick at the beginning of break and you don't really feel better until the semester begins again and the cycle goes over and oh anyone We all feel this the pressure to perform to get good grades to be involved in choir, theater, worship arts or campus ministries, athletics, band And whatever else at the same time so we can get all those activity scholarships. And they may help you afford Dort, but they also may be killing your soul. Not alone student employment. How many of you have two or three jobs on campus? We feel the anxiety of the next thing. You feel like you never stop. And when your body finally does, your finger keeps scrolling and your mind keeps racing. You feel the exhaustion of hurry. Homework, getting to class, quick conversations in between, scarfing down food, practice, rehearsal, being a few minutes late to everything. And then we feel the discouragement of it all. The shame of never performing well enough. The fear that you're always missing out on something. Or the habit that you escape with at the end of the day when it's all done. Are you sick of this cycle? Are you tired from it? And I know that we all experience this to varying degrees and at different moments. But I think we can all agree that at some point we have all felt anxious. We have all felt the pressure to perform. And we've all been in a hurry. Are you tired of consistently feeling that way? If so, if you relate to this at all, I want you to listen to Paul's words. But I say, walk. By the Spirit. Do you hear that? Walk. Slow down. Go at a more loving play, pace for yourself and for others. Walk by the Spirit. Doesn't walking sound good right now? Don't you long for that? Don't you long to walk by the Spirit? Well, yeah, but I can't walk. There's just too much to get done. Yes, I really wanted to slow down, but there's just no way. I need my scholarship. I must be involved for my resume. And I only have four years here, so i got to take advantage of everything that's offered. Well, yeah, but I want the respect of others. And I'm worried if I say no, they won't ask me again. But I say walk by the Spirit. It's a command from the Word of God. Right, this command, it's, it's not optional. We don't get to say, yes, after I complete this or achieve that. Or, yes, over break I will. Or, if you have kids in the room, yes, when my kids get older. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Paul's commanding us to do it. But Why? Why does Paul command us to walk by the Spirit? That's the question I hope to get at this morning. And to start, I want you to listen to how Paul finishes verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So why walk? Because walking combats the enemy's greatest weapon in our lives. Hurry, busyness, and distraction. You know, I think, wait a minute, Sam, I thought you were going to say the flesh. I thought you were going to say sin because that's what Paul wrote in the text. Let me explain. A Catholic theologian, Ronald Rollheiser, I highly recommend, he writes this. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Get this line. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today with our spiritual lives does this resonate? Because my guess is most of us in this room, you do not truly want to gratify the desires of the flesh. I don't believe you do. I don't believe you look at this and say, oh yeah, I love rivalry. I love idolatry. I especially love sorcery. Oh man, I want to get so angry. I want strife in my life. Oh, I want to really struggle with sexual immorality. No. If you do, come talk to me. I'd love to. We don't want that. I believe that most of us in this room want love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control. You want the fruit of the spirit in your life and in our world. Satan's smart. So what does he do? He makes us busy. Hurried. Distracted. Exhausted. Because when we are those things, when we're in a hurry, when we're exhausted, when we're constantly performing, sin begins to fester. Doubt begins to grow. Bitterness takes root. Anger is kindled and shame begins to cripple. Why? Because we're in those times we're not aware of God in our lives and we think it's all up to us. Because we're not aware of others and we're so focused on what we have to do, what we have to achieve, what we have to get done. And we're not aware of ourselves. So we ignore the basic necessities that we need, sleep, and exercise, and nutrition, play, and people, community. And when this cycle happens, and we, when we come to the end of ourselves, when we finally stop, we gratify the desires of the flesh and act on the lies that we believe through pornography, through alcohol or any other substance, through technology or self-harm or disordered eating or whatever it is for you so that we can finally feel something or just feel nothing at all. You don't want the addiction. You don't want to hurt yourself. You don't want to hate the way you look. You don't want to be selfish. You don't want to get angry. You don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh. You want the opposite. You long for freedom. You hope for release. You desire the fruit of the Spirit in your life and in our world. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And what hurry does is it leads us to be run by the flesh rather than walk by the Spirit. <clears throat> but when we walk, we become aware of God, we become aware of others, and we become aware of of ourselves and we're opened up to the expansive love of God and the fruit of the Spirit are able to be produced in our lives and in our world. Walk by the Spirit. Why else? Why are we commanded to walk by the Spirit? Because walking is where life is lived. This verb, walk, in our text was common in Judaism to to refer to someone's whole life. We see it throughout Scripture. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? In Ephesians 4, Paul writes, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul is calling Christians, you and me, to live in active, daily obedience. To walk by the Spirit in each moment and in each day. And I'm afraid too many of us are waiting for God to meet us in the joy of the mountaintop. Or for God to meet us in the valley of despair. But most of life is not lived in either of those places. It's lived in between. In the ordinary and mundane parts of life. And going to class. And eating food going to work, doing your homework, hanging with friends, talking to your family. And so if we are only waiting to meet God on the mountaintop or in the valley, we're going to miss all that God through His Spirit wants to do here and now. Too often the ordinary is something we don't remember or we just try to get through. But within the ordinary comes the extraordinary. Within the ordinary comes the extraordinary. In the book, The Hobbit, or the movie if you prefer, evil is beginning to take over Middle Earth again. And Gandalf the wizard is beginning to notice it. And he says these words. He says, Saruman, who's a stronger wizard, Saruman believes it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. It is the small everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. We live in a cultural moment that is obsessed with the sensational. The celebrity, the influencer. And this culture has taken root in our church. Celebrity pastors, ...Christian influencers and big instant moments of revival. And I'm afraid that we really believe that that is the only way to keep darkness at bay in our world. But the way to defeat the pain and the injustice and the darkness in our world... ...is through a gentle response. An encouraging word. A kind act, a joyful noise, a faithful friend, a peaceful posture, selfless love, compassionate listening, a controlled tongue. And darkness will go running by the fruit of this Holy Spirit in ordinary acts of love and kindness by ordinary people. You and me. And I hope that's encouraging to you. Because most of us in this room will not have a large platform. You will not be famous. You won't have much influence at all. You will have no national platform. You will not be followed by thousands of people on social media. But you will all have friends. And you will all have coworkers, And you will all have a church community. And you will all have family. And it is through those ordinary moments and ordinary relationships that the Holy Spirit wants to produce fruit in your life and bring heaven to earth. Walk by the Spirit. Why? Because walking combats the enemy's greatest weapon in our lives, hurry, hurry. And walking is where life is lived. Finally, walking is the speed of the Spirit. Walking is the speed of the Spirit. Japanese theologian Kosuke Koyama in his book, Three Mile an Hour God, writes this. It's a little bit long, stick with me, but it's just, it's It's good. God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it's the speed of love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not. Whether we're currently hit by a storm or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk, and therefore it is the speed the love of God walks. How good is that? You and I, we walk three miles per hour. That's the average. Therefore, it is the speed the love of God walks. And this idea is a constant throughout scripture read. And over and over again we hear the Lord is slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. In steady, constant, slow, patient love. Paul says love is patient. And I'm not sure about you. But when I'm in a hurry throughout my day, the fruit of the spirit are not produced in me. Let me ask you this: Does anyone in the room feel like they're ever too busy for interruptions? Are you get frustrated, angry, impatient or unkind when an interruption takes place? This happened to me Sunday night, put my boys to bed, I've read to them, I've prayed with them, I've laid with them. they go to sleep, and, 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 and I walk out of the room, and I'm excited. I get to start the stuff that I want to. I get to answer some emails pay some bills, um, do a few other things, do the dishes. And then when that's done, I'm going to hang out with my wife. I'm ready, and I'm crushing them. I'm getting them done. I'm doing them as fast as I can. And out comes my son Judah several times. Dad, I'm hungry. No, he's not. Dad, will you play with me? No. Dad, I have a question. I'm not tired. Judah, that's not a question. And after about the third or fourth time, I look at him and I say, Judah, and I'm speaking loud. I say, Judah, if you come out of your room again, you will not get candy on Halloween. Man, kids are serious about their candy on Halloween. (laughs) He's bawling and he goes back to bed screaming. He doesn't come out again though. I didn't want to speak that way to my son. I didn't even mean what I said, but I was impatient and frustrated and spoke harshly to my son because I so badly wanted to get through everything that I needed to get through. And what I wish I would have done, I wish I would have gotten on Judah's level and asked him what he needed. I wish I would have gotten on the floor and just played Legos with him for three minutes or just given him a hug. So that when he went to bed, his mind would be calmed and he would know that I love him. You know who wasn't too busy for interruptions? Jesus. Much of what Jesus is known for are interruptions. Mark 5, Jesus and his disciples are going to the other side of the sea of Galilee and to go away from all the people and the noise what they do they get there and when they get there and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tomb as a man with an unclean spirit interruption Luke 8 leader of a synagogue asked Jesus to heal his 12 year old daughter who's dying Jesus goes with him to do it and on the way people crowd him and a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years grabs his robe and Jesus begins a conversation interruption John 2, Jesus is at a wedding near his hometown, having a good time, drinking some wine. The wine runs out early and his mom, Mary, comes. Jesus, do something about it. And Jesus responds, this is my translation, what does this have to do with me? I'm enjoying myself. Interruption. If Jesus was in a hurry, a man would still have a demon, a woman would still be sick, and a wedding would end early. But instead, a man was freed from oppression, a woman delivered from her sickness, and a wedding joyfully continued. Jesus walked among us, and Paul is calling us to walk as well, because walking is the speed of the Spirit. And when we walk, it gives time and space for the fruit of the Spirit to take root in our hearts and be produced in our lives for the sake of the world. Walk by the Spirit. Walk slowly to class, and notice where you see God. It just might be the moment He reveals His deep love for you. Eat slowly in the commons and have a conversation with someone. And you might be the person that speaks an encouraging word to lift someone's countenance who's in deep sorrow. And respond to the next interruption in your life with patience, kindness, joy, and love. And see what the Holy Spirit might do in you and through you. Because walking is the speed of the Spirit. Walking is the speed of the Spirit. Do you long to walk? Do you want to slow down to the pace of love? I hope you do. I long to walk. I'm sick of being run by my flesh rather than walking by the Spirit. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I've run myself to sickness. I'm tired. I've run myself to be impatient with my kids. That wasn't just the one time. That's you know that story is fairly regular. I've run myself to have such a critical spirit to notice all these little things and point them out in people's lives. But this command, walk by the Spirit. It's the grace of God in our lives. And one of my deepest fears is that I am, that Dort is, and that our Western culture is forming and shaping you, students, to perform, achieve, and progress at a rate that you cannot sustain. And it will crush your heart and you will believe the lies of the enemy. It's one of my biggest fears. But this command is God's grace. He's saying you don't have to perform. I love you. You don't have to be in a hurry to complete all that's been done. I've completed everything that needs to be done. You don't have to change the world. I've overcome darkness with my son Jesus. I'm just inviting you into it so you can experience it as well. This is a gift from God. God. God loves you. You belong in any moment. You have permission to walk. So here's how we're going to close. I realize it's 1139. Maybe you have to rush to class. Or maybe you don't have to. Professors, I know you've got to go teach. I know you've got to go eat. Maybe you can just wait a few minutes. You can email me if you're upset about it. It's fine. So we're going to play a song. You may not know it. You can stand and sing if you want. But more than that, I would invite you to sit and take a few breaths and begin to walk by the Spirit in this moment. And maybe consider how might the Holy Spirit be calling you and asking you to walk as you leave this place. How to slow down. How is the Holy Spirit asking you to go at a more loving pace for yourself and for others?